But this is my last Sunday to call us all to Awaken West Houston. Starts tomorrow, January 30th, 30 days. January 30th through February 28th. Thousands of believers all over Katy, West Houston, who are going to take these 30 days to live on mission with Jesus. And I'm hopeful and even prayerful that all of you, students and adults, would jump in to Awaken West Houston and participate with us as much as God would lead you to. And that you'll do it with joy and do it with anticipation, expectation of what God might do. Even if it's a little bit fearful, that, um, that you'll go into it trusting the Lord, looking to Him to give you and all of us courage. I was thinking and praying this morning about it and just thought about it in the book of Acts. Where Luke tells us in that early church, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And wouldn't that be something? That not only here at Redeemer, but in gospel-loving churches all over our city, the Lord would be adding to our number day by day, week by week, month by month, those who are being saved. In the book of Acts, he did that. God did. But as you read the story, he does it through the prayerful evangelistic efforts of his people. May God do the same through us. I've got a bad opening illustration, but here you go. You ever heard of a hat trick in sports? A hat trick is when somebody scores three goals in the same game. You hear about it in soccer, at least for me, I mostly hear about it in hockey. When a hockey player scores three goals in the same game, it's called a hat trick. And often when he does it, folks in the crowd will take off their hats and throw them onto the ice rink, and there's just hats everywhere. I looked up this week. I almost knew who the winner was going to be, but how, who's, who has the most hat tricks in the history of the National Hockey League? Of course it is. Who? Wayne Gretzky. The greatest hockey player ever, I think, Ward, right? He's got 50 of these things. 50 times he scored three goals in the same game. And you go, well, yeah, that, that does sound like a lot, but who else, you know, anybody else done close to that? Mario Lemieux is number two with 40. Uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the Dallas Stars were a pretty good hockey team, and they made a run to the Stanley Cup, and those of us who were from Dallas and were living in Dallas, we were really excited about and our star was Mike Madonna. He was a player and a great goal scorer. And I thought, I wonder where Madonna is on this list. Gretzky's got 50. Lemieux's got 40. Madonna's got 70. Man, 50's a lot. It's a lot. And Waken West Houston. We're asking God's people here in Katy to do a handful of things. Number one, to identify seven people in your life here in Katy, West Houston, who you believe are far from God. They don't have a saving relationship with Jesus. Or maybe they do, but they're disconnected from the, from the life of the body of Christ. If you can't identify seven, just identify three or four or five. Like or 
or pulp to round out your list of seven, go to blessedbyblessing.com. Sign up for a free account, and it's a wonderful online site to help you live on mission with Jesus, with those who live right around you. But will you do that? It starts tomorrow. Would you take some time, if you haven't already, this afternoon, think, God, who are seven people in my life right here in Katy, West Houston, who are far from God, and you've put me in their life? If you haven't picked one up, you can get cards, and it's got a place for seven so far. Secondly, we're asking you not only to identify them, but for the next 30 days to pray earnestly for their salvation. That you would go before God every day for the next 30 days and pray for those seven. And ask God to save them. To do his thing. To bring the gospel into their life and that they would hear it in such a way that the Holy Spirit of God would work in their life to help them see his glory, see their sins, see Christ and his work upon the cross, see the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God, and they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We pray earnestly for 30 days. And for those 30 days, as God leads you, that you would fast. Some of you will fast a portion of all 30 days. Some of you might fast just on this particular day of the week. Some of you will do it this way, and some will do it that way. But will you also, as one said, put an exclamation point upon your prayers through fasting over these next 30 days for those seven? And then, would you let your light shine? Remember, we looked at that last week. Not only am I going to identify these seven and pray for them and fast, but Jesus said, you're the, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. Remember, I sang it for you last week. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And then I stopped and said, are you? You and I, Jesus said, are the light of the world. And he says to us, let it shine through love and patience and kindness and hospitality and things like that. Maybe it's just with one or two on your list, or maybe it's all seven. You'd look for opportunities to let your light shine in their lives. And then finally, as God gives opportunity, you talk to them about Jesus. Say, I'd love to do that. No, I would love to do that. But I need some help. I need some help too. And so I'd like to give you a hat trick. There it is. A hat trick of questions that maybe you could ask to one or more of your seven over these next 30 days. So Mitch, I'd love to talk to others about the Lord more than I do, but I'm just scared and I'm not exactly sure what to do and do. But I wonder if these three questions might not be helpful to you and to me. So we're going to look at three passages of Scripture this morning. These are more illustrative, maybe not so much the 
well, kind of the point of these texts. We'll see, you'll, you'll see. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 first. 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is Paul writing to Timothy, who's leading the church there in Ephesus. And he says to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1, First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. So he says, I want, I want you to pray for, I think, all kinds of people. He's going to get specific and illustrative here. In verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So Paul says, I want you to pray for the authorities that are in charge with the hopes that we could lead a tranquil and quiet life, that we could have opportunity to serve others and share the gospel and all of that good stuff without too much trouble. I want you to pray on behalf of all men. Verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. I think when Paul says all men, all men, a ransom for all, he means all kinds of people. For the rich and the poor, for Jews and Gentiles, old and young, nobody is Pray for everyone, because God, in his mercy, is saving people from all walks of life. There's none beyond his power. There's none beyond his mercy. There's none beyond his grace. And so Paul is urging the church to pray for non-Christians so that they might be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Because the reality is there is only one God. And that pantheon of gods that was the first century Mediterranean world, Paul says, there's only one true God. And there's only one way to relationship with him, and it's through the mediator, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself upon a cross to pay the penalty for sin. So pray, Paul says. Paul models this for us in Romans chapter 10 when he said that he was praying for the salvation of the Jewish people. We're asking you to pray earnestly for 30 days for the salvation of those on your list. But here's a question to put in your toolbox. Here's a goal to score this month. Ask, how can I pray for you this week? You got these seven and you're praying for them. And you're looking for ways to let your light shine. And so maybe you're out in the neighborhood and you see him or you see her or maybe you're at the workplace and Maybe you've never done this before. Take the opportunity to say, hey, you know what? You know I'm a Christian, and one of the things I do every day is I pray. Is there anything I can pray 
for you and I. A fellow named Howard Tryon wrote a book called Praying for You, and we put a little excerpt from one of his chapters in the resource manual, but he said this whenever he would ask this question. He said, immediately the individual's countenance would change. They would say, yes, you can pray for my dad. He's sick. Or you can pray for my job, or you can pray for my kids at school. Then he went on, he said, regardless of their earlier negative responses, there was always a positive and friendly acceptance of me and appreciation for the offer to pray. So there's one little tool. How can I pray for you this week? And see if they won't open up and tell you about a situation, a hardship that's going on in their life that you'll be able to pray specifically for them and then follow up and say, how's it going? Turn with me to John chapter 1. So go to your left. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John starts out the New Testament in John chapter 1. Verse 35 Again, the next day, John, this is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? I love that. I'm not going to preach on that, but I love that. Jesus, what do you seek? Where are you staying? Wherever you're going, that's where we want to go. Jesus said, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him. They abided with him, if you know anything about the Gospel of John, that word comes up again. They abided with him. That day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. The legacy of Andrew. He's one of the 12, but we don't know a whole lot about him. He is the very first to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. Hey, we've found him, the long-awaited one. We have found the Messiah. But his legacy is what he did with Peter, his brother. Hey, 
we have found what we've been looking for. Come, thou son of God. We love Peter. He pops up all the time in the Gospels and, of course, in the book of Acts. He's just magnificent. He had his denial, but Christ restored him and Christ used him in magnificent ways. We see throughout the book of Acts, and then he writes 1 Peter and 2 Peter. We don't know much about Andrew. Bruce Milne commenting on this little paragraph. Andrew's reaction to finding Jesus has been a classic model for Christian witness over the centuries. He began with his immediate family. Witness, like charity, begins at home. Now, I'll add a little note. We're asking all of us in Awaken West Houston to begin right here in what we call my circle. Where I live, where I work, where I study, where I play. My circle. Those that are far from God right in my life. He goes on, with hindsight, Andrew's bringing Peter to Jesus was perhaps as great a service to the church as any man ever did. Because we know what came of Peter. So what Andrew did in inviting Peter to come meet Jesus was perhaps as great a service to the church as any man ever did. Here lies the secret of the extraordinary spread of Christianity in the early centuries. As historian Gibbon noted, quote, it became the most sacred duty of a new convert to diffuse among his friends and relatives the inestimable blessings that he had received. And then Milne goes on, statistics demonstrate that while gospel preaching is undoubtedly important, personal witness and friendship continues to be the primary means by which people are brought to Christ. One more from the great Matthew Henry. Andrew knew there was enough in Christ for all. And having tasted that Jesus is gracious, he could not rest till those he loved had tasted it too. Note, true grace hates monopolies and loves not to eat its morsels alone. Henry thinks that Andrew came to experience the grace of Jesus and just could not keep it to himself. Number one, ask, how can I pray for you this week? Number two, ask, would you like to come to church with me? Now, if you're like me, you might have a handful of things rattling around in your head right now. 45 reasons why you don't want to invite somebody to church with you. Well, we don't have this, and we don't have that, and, and Mitch is kind of serious when he preaches. And I got my own stuff rattling around in my head as to why I might not want to do that. And maybe you do too. And I'm going to ask God, and I'm asking you, why don't we just throw those away for a month? For today. 
Why don't we just wonder, maybe that's a lie from the enemy. He's been keeping me for a really, really long time from inviting my friends to come hear about Jesus. Well, we all have this, and you know, it's like that. Why don't we just throw them away for a month or two? The vision I have in my head, uh, you know. What if, what if indeed I'm, I'm afraid to invite him or them to come to church because i got all these 14, 15, 16, however many reasons why that's probably a bad idea. But what if I just threw them away? And what if I invited them? And what if they said yes? And what if they came? And what if they met y'all? And what if they said a few weeks later after they've been coming back and coming back and coming back, they said, you know what? We love this place. Do you really? Yeah. Should I not? Well, I had about 45 reasons why you might not. We think it's great. It's just fine for us. It's also true that you might invite a friend, they might come, and they might say, you know what, it's not for me. That's okay. But again, they might come and they might say, you know what, I've been waiting for somebody to invite me to church for a really, really long time, and I didn't even know it. Got another article in here. It's called, How One Question Got Me to Go church. If you'll remember, those of you who were part of Awaken West Houston last year, we gave you a list of 17 names, people you didn't know, and asked you to pray and fast for 30 days, and then to write them a postcard and tell them you've been praying for them for 30 days. But you weren't allowed to put your church on it. You weren't allowed to invite them to Redeemer and, you know, all the churches that are participating. We wanted it to be about the church, not a church. We wanted it to be about Jesus, not about about Jesus, not about say these are seven folks you know in your circle, neighbors, co-workers, friends. You're praying and you're fasting and you're letting the light of Christ shine. Go for it. Invite them to Redeemer or to the fellowship or King, wherever you might be. Invite them to church. Cynthia wrote how one question got me to go to church. One of the reasons she says people don't invite others to church is that you're afraid. You don't need to live in a country where believers are crucified to be afraid to go to church, or, or why people don't go to church, I'm sorry. Going to church alone is terrifying, especially when you've been hurt by the church or by members of the church. I can attest to this feeling. During my college years, I became very curious about God and religion. There was something in the pit of my stomach that wanted to know more about who God was. I had so many questions. The problem was I didn't know where to begin. I started going to Catholic Mass but could barely stay awake. I didn't understand the service, nor did I get any questions answered, so I never returned. Then in 2013, I moved across state lines to start my job in the U.S. Air Force. I was single, moving to a foreign city all by myself. I was ill-equipped, to say the least, 
I'd never rented a place without my parents' help, but here I was doing everything alone. After a few months, I felt settled and got into a routine of working and enjoying my downtime, but something was missing. I started researching churches in my area to explore and noticed one close to my apartment, so close I could walk to it. I decided I was going to give it a try. Unfortunately, when that Sunday came, I could not move my feet. I was overwhelmed by fear as I looked at the massive building. What door do I enter? Are they going to make me stand up and introduce myself? How do I know my beliefs align with theirs? Will I be the darkest person in the room? All of these questions stopped me dead in my tracks, and I never made it inside that church. I was embarrassed. I was afraid. I was ashamed. This happened over and over again. I didn't walk. I didn't want to walk into a church and be told how much of a bad person I was. I didn't want want anyone to know I had rarely opened up the Bible. I didn't want people to know I had questions and wasn't entirely sure God existed. I eventually stopped trying to find or enter a church. There were problems with the small churches and the big churches alike, so I just resigned myself to believe I would never belong. Then in Easter of 2014, it all changed. An acquaintance from college had just moved to the area with her husband and started working in my unit, small world. A few weeks before Easter, she handed me a flyer and casually asked if I would like to go to church with her and have Easter lunch afterward. I immediately said yes. She had no idea I was terrified to go to church. She had no idea I wanted to go. But she asked anyway, and it transformed my life. She came to church. She heard the gospel. And it transformed her life. How can I pray for you this week? Would you like to go to church with me, with us? Make sure you read that little article. It's a handful of pages long. She gives some really good advice on how to do it. Finally, turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. The gospel is spreading. It has been birthed, you'll remember, in Jerusalem. Jesus died and rose gave his final instructions to the disciples, ascended into heaven, chapter 1. And in chapter 2, he gives his spirit to empower them to proclaim Christ throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. And there in chapters 3 and 4 and 5, they begin to fill Jerusalem with the teaching of the gospel of Jesus. And then in chapter 7... Stephen preaches a sermon about a God who has never been tied to any one place. He's always been a God on the move. Wherever God's people go, he goes. And he also said some things that upset the leadership in Jerusalem, and they put him to death. He was the first Christian martyr. They stoned him, killed him. And as a result of that, persecution began to heat up in Jerusalem, and many of the believers got out of town But as they got out of town, they continued to proclaim Christ wherever they went. And one of those was a guy named Philip. 
in chapter, uh-oh, where did we go? 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So he was from down south of Israel. He was a Gentile, not a part of the people of God. But he was attracted to Israel's God, and he came to Jerusalem to worship. And in verse 28, he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. When the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot, Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation, for his life is removed from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me. Of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Verse 7 is probably, 37 is probably not a part of the original. I'm sure yours has it in brackets. So look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? In verse 38, he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they had come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. Using this a little bit more illustrative than, than maybe we'd like. Here goes, here's a man who had some thoughts about God. And this one in particular was even reading the Old Testament scriptures. His mind is rattling around about what, what these things might be. And God uses Philip to come alongside him and to understand more clearly the questions that he had. How can I pray for you this week? Would you like to come to church with me, with us? Maybe here's one, and, and maybe you can, you can do better on this one. And, and maybe you're not able to do this with all seven, maybe only with one, maybe with two, maybe with none, but, but maybe pray for an opportunity and the right kind of conversation to ask something like, how do you understand personal salvation? Probably say, well, what do you mean? <laughs> well, how do you understand 
personal salvation, how a person can be made right with God and spend eternity with him. If you were in a situation like that and were able to get that question on the table, I wonder if it might not provide an opportunity for you and me to hear just maybe what's rattling around in their mind about God. Maybe they say, well, you know what? I don't even believe there is a God. And that provides a wonderful opportunity for you to begin to pray for that specifically. And maybe if you feel equipped, you can begin to talk to them about that and address them there. Or, you know, maybe they, they say, well, you know, uh, I really think that, that everybody is okay with God, and I think everybody's going to experience eternal life. So they've, they've got a universalism that believes that universally everybody's going to go to heaven. And so you'll be able to maybe talk to them about that. Or maybe they'll say, well, you know what? The way I've always thought about it is, you know, that you've just got to be a good person. And, you know, that's what I've always tried to be. I've tried to be a good guy. I know I'm, you know, I'm, I'm better, better than others. You begin to realize that resume think about this, that the things that I do become the things that earn me salvation before God. Or, well, and it may provide opportunity for you and me to maybe ask another question. Would you mind if I share what the Bible says about these things? I'm not asking you to believe it, though I would love for you to. And, but, but, but can I just share with you what the Bible says about personal salvation, about how, how people like you and me can be made right with God, experience eternal life? And maybe, sure, go ahead. And you would have the opportunity to tell them about the God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How can I pray for you this week? Would you like to go to church with me, my family? How do you understand personal salvation? or How a person has a right relationship with God and experiences eternal life? Ours is a message of grace. It's a robust message, if you will, that doesn't sweep things under the rug. Ours is a message about the greatness of God and about the sinfulness of man and about judgment comes as a result of our sin. But then it's a message that God, from his love, mercy, kindness, grace, has provided in his son 
the forgiveness of sins. Reconciliation to God. The gift of eternal life. It's all of grace. It's not earned or deserved. He stands with open arms to those who will look to him for forgiveness and new life. So will you join us? I know some of you have already picked this up and picked this up, and if you don't have one of these, you've picked up one of those. Some of you maybe have said, you know what, Mitch, no way. Join us for as much of it as you will. And for these next 30 days, by God's grace, let's seek him and see what he wants to do in us and through us here at Redeemer and believers all over our city. And I'll close with this. If you use one of these questions, would you please let me know? I'd love for you to shoot me a text, give me a call, write me an email and say, hey, I asked my buddy this week how I could pray for him. Hey, I invited my friend to church. Don't say anything crazy on Sunday, right? Hey, can't believe God worked it out, but I, I threw that question out there about what does this guy, you know, what do you think about personal salvation? It led to an incredible conversation. Or if it went totally bad, terrible, let me know. I'd love to know. Let's pray together, and then let's sing. Father in heaven, you use your people to take your message to a lost and dying world. You always have, and you always will, till the coming of your Son. This is your plan. Your people, reconciled to you through the good news of the gospel, are now ambassadors for Christ. And you have sprinkled us all over this city. And you intend for us to love the people in our lives, to let the light of Christ shine, to tell them about Jesus. Would you do a work in our hearts over these next 30 days that is deep and real and life-changing? That will see us living a new kind of life that we never imagined. And Lord, might you use us like Philip, like Andrew, to be ones that would lead others to the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the love of Jesus Christ. And we will pray it in his name and for his glory. Amen.